Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Very special man, wonderful rider and a, a great, great career. David Yates is with me this morning to appreciate much about the sport of horse racing and you don't have to reach too far into the trusty treasure troves of superlatives when you're talking about Richard Johnson, Dave. You really don't. Um, the next time you're discussing sport with somebody and there's a, a player who's overstepped the mark and someone offers, oh, well, I suppose you have to be a bit like that, a bit of a so-and-so, I mean, to succeed in sport these days, remind them of Richard Johnson a guy who rode 3,824 winners, 23 of those, I think, at the Cheltenham Festival, two gold cups, four jockeys' championships, 16 seconds behind Sir A.P. McCoy, I'm sorry to throw that in, and was consistently the most polite, modest, cheery person you could ever wish to meet. Um, we were very lucky to do a column with Dickie Johnson for two years in the mirror mm -hmm. uh, from November to April. Just the, the easiest bloke to deal with. No side to him. No, no snarling, no temper tantrums, nothing at all. And social media is a nest of vipers. We know that, but it's very, very rare uh, that when any person who's in the public eye is, comes up for discussion, that there is unanimity, unanimity about what a tremendous person we're dealing with. But with Richard Johnson, it's just been an absolute... Uh, it's been a pleasure to deal with him. And it was... Uh, it, the fact that he should retire at Newton Abbott after six winnerless rides sort of sums, sums up that modest nature, doesn't it? Mm. He could have gone out on a big triumph and said, right, that's it, you know. And that's not to criticise those who do, but it, it, it was just, just summed him up. The way that he ended his career was like, you know, it's no big deal, folks. Well, believe me, it really is and was a big deal. What a pleasure to deal with him. I'll just say one thing before we go on, and that's before he got his first jockey's title in April 2016, um, British Horse Racing had a, a, a bit of a, a drinks do uh, before Sandown, I think it was the, during that week, and I met Richard's parents, and it was amazing that the number of journalists who said to them, what an absolute pleasure it is to deal with your son mm. at the races. And it, he says, I salute you all. Well, we all salute you too, because you've you brought, you, you've, the way that you've conducted yourself over a quarter of a century has just been to the, the, entirely to the benefit of the sport. Well, he's listening to you now because uh, I'm delighted to say that he joins me. Dickie Johnson, good morning. Good morning. How, how are you feeling this morning with a, with a night to, to digest the news that you, you shocked us with or shocked me with uh, last night at Newton Abbott? Um, um, I, I, I'm not really quite sure, to be honest. But it was just um, in my own mind... I suppose building up for Cheltenham, you know, I made a decision and yeah, I mean, we, 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 I had a sort of, a, I think after I rode Nate River at Sandown when he won, I sort of had that sort of dream that if, if, he, if you know, I thought he could, um, you know, had every chance in the Gold Cup again and look, he ran really well and I th obviously that would have been the dream to sort of win the Gold Cup and go out, which, which would have been sort of a, you know, a way I could have, could have done it um, and obviously that didn't happen and Time Hill, unfortunately, um, Got an injury as well, so 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 we just I just felt that I I I didn't want to do it at Cheltenham 
if I hadn't ridden a winner because whoever you know won the Gold Cup, that that was their day. Um, and, and yeah, it was. Um, we, we sort of tried to do it at Newbury last week. Um, if Kaluki had maybe won the handicap chase and he didn't, um, and then last week we, we I spoke to Philip and, and obviously Dave Roberts and and you know with with Fiona we we just decided that you know Newton Abbott was. Um, you know, all the small tracks are probably almost more important to me than some of the big tracks because you know they're where I started, and you know they they've given me so much as well. So um, it, it was, yeah, you know, for me it was the right time, and um, yeah, it was quite it was quite an emotional 10, 15 minutes when it happened, just because you know, it, you know for the last twenty five years, well, twenty seven years, um, racing has been, you know, everything to me, and um, and it's given me so much. So. Um, um, yeah, no, it's, it's just, it, it was the right time for me and, um, and yeah, sort of waking up this morning, I'm, you know, very, very happy with the decision and, um, yeah, I'm amazingly um, uh, taken, yeah, the messages, I haven't even had a chance to read most of the messages yet or, um, you know, people have been very, very kind and, and like I say, even just <laughs> listening to, to you all then, you know, it's, um, yeah, to be honest, sometimes to pinch myself, I don't really, can't quite believe you know, the career I've had and, you know, how lucky I've been. And, you know, it was um, almost a dream just to be a, to ride a winner um, to start with. And, and you know, I, I can't quite believe how lucky I've been to yeah have have the, you know, the, the chance to, to do what I've loved doing for so long. I I sort of believed and I, and I spoke to you earlier in the in the season and I I certainly wasn't trying to to lead the witness in any way, but I sort of was wondering when when the end of your riding career might be. And by the time I'd finished the conversation with you, I was fully convinced that you would, in fact, go on forever. I, I, was, I was completely convinced that you had absolutely no thoughts of, of calling it a day. Was it what some jockeys talk about a moment when they wake up and go, it's just not there anymore? That drive to go to the races just isn't, has just deserted me all of a sudden. Was it a sudden thing with you or not? No, I don't think so. I think... Um... Yeah, just just unfortunately, I, I'm hopefully realistic enough to know that I, I, you know, I, I couldn't do it forever. Um, and I think it was just for me, it just as things sort of turned out, it became the right time. Um, you know, it, it was, you know, I was obviously frustrated and disappointed not to be sort of in contention, you know, with Brian Hughes and, and Harry Skelton and, and Harry Cobden for the, the jockey's title this year. And, and that's not, a, again, a reason. It just, you know, it's just as it happened. Um, and also, you know, unfortunately, I'm. 43 now and my body does ache a bit more than it than it used to and um you know, i think it just all felt the right thing to do and and also you know fiona and the children you know and, and my parents are starting off but they, you know fiona and the children have, have given up so much for me to do um you know what what i my passion or and what i love doing um you know they don't get to see me very often and um you know i feel that yeah, it's yeah, it's time time for me to have a, a slight change of daily routine, and 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 hopefully, you know, I'm looking forward to that as well. So it's 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 all positive. There's no there's no negative or no um, hopefully um, you know downside to this. It's just I want to, you know, I've had such a fantastic career, and I want to celebrate it, and and um, almost yeah, move on to the next chapter, and 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 still hopefully be really involved in in racing and. You know, I've got so many friends. Um, you know, whether it's jockeys, trainers, owners, um, people in the media. Do you mean and and generally, you know, just race goers that say hello to you and and uh, you know, it, it's the whole the whole package has been um, you know for me absolutely fantastic, and I, I just feel very lucky to actually have, have yeah you know had what I've had, and yeah, but for me it, it was it was the right time. The only the only slight. Um, my brother-in-law retired on the same day, and I probably, um, yeah, probably yeah, <laughs> took, took 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 away slightly from that as well. We ended up, um, yeah, as it's strangely, um, just did it on the same day. So, um, but again, for me, it was the right time, and, and actually Newton Abbott, um, you know, it felt the, the right place as well. So it's just something in your in your heart and your gut. You all felt it, it. It it was the right decision, and and no no regrets about about not going to Aintree next week and 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 having one last stab at the Grand National. I think I think I think I've had that many stabs. I think there's <laughs> holes in the Grand National for me. Um, but no, I, look, I, I've I sort of made a decision running up to Cheltenham, and um, yeah, between Fiona and Dave Roberts, and, um, Philip Hobbs, 
and Henry Daly, we, we, I, I spoke to, they were the key people I, I wanted to make sure knew sort of what was, what was going on. And, um, you know, I felt that, yeah, that, that was, once I made that decision, you know, over the last sort of fortnight, you, you know, we would, we would, yeah. we would sort of get it done. We just, it, yeah, obviously it, it sort of, um, it, it was not quite, it wasn't easy to find the right day, but it was just, you know, Philip had, had some nice rides down at Newton Abbey yesterday. And yes, it would have been lovely to have a winner and, and probably bow it that way. But again, actually, it was just lovely to, I, I was, you know, and, and I feel slightly um, uh, bad for Rob Stevens. I, I, you know, when I sort of didn't, I got off his horse in the last race because I, I wanted to, my, I wanted my last ride to be for Philip because again, you know, he's been a huge part of my career um you know to have someone behind you that um literally you know backs you 100 percent um and you know takes everything in his stride and, and and never tries to sort of throw blame any, anywhere um you know it, it's you know to have someone like him behind me was has been a huge point in my or part of my career and and so that was quite that was the only i think important thing for me was to yeah, definitely finish on one of Phillips. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Well, in the build-up to the Randox Health Grand National, we have talked so much about big owners, big trainers, super stables, horses who are, are really threatening to dominate, trainers who are really threatening to dominate the national hunt firmament. And with that in mind, it is extremely refreshing and welcome to have a, a genuinely smaller stable represented in this year's Grand National with a horse with a meaningful chance as well and ridden by somebody who's got previous winning experience over the Grand National fences and has been a previous guest on this show. I'm talking about sub-lieutenant who used to be a Jigginstown horse is now uh, with Georgie Howell and ridden by her daughter Tabitha Worsley who is having a great season. Tabitha's on the on the line. Morning Tabitha. Morning, how are we doing? We're very well, thank you. What a what an exciting venture the the sub lieutenant project is. Just tell us, tell us how it all started. Who came up with the idea and how it's all come together? Well, we never actually bought him with national in mind. We uh, went for sales, wanting to just buy a better horse. We train a string of not to hundred horses, and we sort of, as a family, wanted something that we could go out on the Saturday and have a bit of fun with. And we actually had the veteran series in mind with him, but we had a small setback early. And then we ran him at Ascot and we watched that back a good few times after we ran a really good fourth and sort of thought this could be our chance to have a national runner. And it sort of became the plan after that. And if this had been 30, 40 years ago, people would have said, oh, this is an insane dream. It's a great story, but it really is just a, a fairy tale. I'd say not so much because you've ridden a brilliant race to win round those fences. You know exactly what it takes. You're having a brilliant season. The horse has got really good back form. What is it about him, do you think, that might be well suited to this? I mean, his two runs at Ascot, the, the mammoth trip looks tailor-made for him. He was galloping all the way through the line and in all his work at home, the further you go, the better he gets. And he's such an old professional over a fence, which he showed when he ran around the top of him and was second. And he just, they say, he looks tailor-made for it. So tell me a little bit about the, the training operation. It's you and your, your mother, Georgina, yes? Yeah, yeah, two of us sort of do it very much together. Um, she doesn't massively like riding him. She doesn't want to ride him this week because she doesn't want the pressure. <laughs> and how did it all kind of start and come about? Has it been something that you've been doing together since your pointing days? Yeah, we've always had pointers. Uh, she's had pointers all when I was growing up. And then uh, she, when we first started, didn't actually want to train them herself because uh, she didn't want the pressure of having to worry about child and horse when they first went out. Uh, but sort of since then, we've, we've done them all together and we've had the permit a couple of years. It just gives us more opportunity to, to run them when we have only got moderate horses. I mean, we love them to bits, but they, they are what they are. And there's more opportunity to go and run them under rules. And when you've got a horse as talented as him, and, and I, I know older horses and they look after themselves and whatnot, but how do you gauge what sort of form he's in when you've only got horses of way inferior ability to measure him against uh, i mean he's wild at home at the minute so i think he's in good form but we, we've taken him away and worked him plenty and i mean he's not he doesn't do anything flashy on the gallops but he does everything very easy and i think 
sort of the stage of his life now, he doesn't need to be working really hard with, with top horses because he's, he's sort of been there and done it. So I think just the, the slightly easier way of life, I think, suits him. And as you can see in that, he's still enthusiastic. <laughs> he's absolutely tanking. <laughs> he ran away with me after we jumped the second. <laughs> Uh, do you think, I mean, you've ridden a lovely horse round there in, in Top Wood who measured those fences absolutely brilliantly. Is there any way that you could compare them and the way they would attack those fences when they see that, that kind of spruce and that belly on a fence? It was actually two years ago today that Top Wood won. Um, they, they're very similar in that they're both very bold over a normal fence, as you could see over those easy picks. He's really attacking and really takes them on. But I think the, the spruce just sort of backs them up a bit and they're just clever and he was very much the same when we schooled him. He's not too bold and he's just clever. And I think that's what you need. You don't want something that's going to come and take off outside the wings at every fence. And he's just got a very good head on him. And hopefully we'll have a bit of fun. Now, is that you show jumping over your right shoulder? Uh, that's actually my mum at the Horse of Year show uh, before I was even born. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a great, that's a great picture. So it's, it's definitely in the pedigree. Yeah, massively. I say she's always ridden. She forever tells me how bad I am at show jumping. But yeah, she looks she looks quite stylish in that picture. <laughs> you know, she did well. She uh, was kicking herself that she threw it at the last and had it down. But uh, no, horses is very much in the blood. So, if she couldn't hack the pressure of you going out to ride in a point to point and training the horse herself, how on earth is she handling this week? Oh, sure. She's, uh, I don't mean she's sleeping too much, but I think it's excitement as well. But I mean, she, I think just for us at the minute, it is still a dream and a week's a long time in horses. So our focus at the minute is just getting both me and him there in one piece. And if we can line up, then it's, it's something special. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. Welcome back. You are watching Luck on Sunday. The 24th of June 2020 was a day of enormous sadness for anyone who knew or knew of Rose Patterson, the chair of Aintree. That was the day uh, that Rose took her own life at her home in Shropshire. This week is the official launch of the Rose Patterson Trust, set up by Rose's friends and family to promote the awareness of suicide amongst people in the UK and to try to prevent even just one person taking their own life. Owen Patterson is Rose's husband. He's also the MP for North Shropshire, and he joins me from the family home now. Owen, good morning. Uh, good morning, Nick. Happy Easter to you. Uh, and to you as well. Uh, an unimaginably awful time for you and, and for your family since, since Rose took her own life on the 24th of June last year. This week, with the, the Grand National, her beloved Grand National approaching, is going to be a, a poignant one and a very important one for you and your, your family. J just try and explain exactly how and why. Well, thank you very much for your kind good wishes and thank you very much for everyone watching we had a huge number of messages from all over the uk northern ireland southern ireland france germany united states uh, the racing world's been remarkable and the many other areas where rose so busy had charities and the art world um and obviously many uh, those in the political world uh, wrote in and um we as a family uh, were completely unprepared for this like so many and it is it is very, very hard to describe the intensity of the anguish and misery it has caused. So if anyone's watching this, I really mean this, anyone is watching who's feeling a little anxious, a little unhappy, please talk. Please, please go and talk to a friend or a relation because the damage you do when you take your own life is, is absolutely terrible. And, and that's why, as a family, we thought um, we would like to form a trust and, and try to do something. And our, our message is really very simple. If we, if we could together just work towards stopping, just, just helping, just helping just one family from going through what we're going through, uh, we will have done some good. So um, as you say, the national is going to be extraordinarily difficult. Uh, this used to be a wonderful time of year. She used to put so much time into it. She'd be going to entry every day in the months and weeks building up. She was incredibly popular with all the people who worked there. We had wonderful messages from them. And, and then she was 
you know, becoming a major figure in racing. She should be made a student's jockey club. She was doing great work on welfare. Um, and she's in a very strong position to do that because she, she had a real feeling and affinity for horses. She rode beautifully. She had lovely hands, ever, ever saw her catch a horse in the mouth. Here in the stables, she was the one that always spotted the, the mud rash first. Horses always went for her. Uh, and she was incredibly well placed to help the jockey club and, and BHA develop new policies on, animal, on horse welfare. And it's just tragic that's all been thrown away. It will be an extraordinarily difficult few days for us. Um, but I'd also like to thank very much all those in racing, pay a real tribute to Nicholas Wrigley, incoming chairman under very difficult circumstances. Uh, he and Dick and White have been marvellous. They've made it, made us incredibly welcome and made it clear what we're doing. And actually Dickens' idea that we should launch the trust on Grand National Day, which we will do um, uh, next Saturday, formally. Sometimes when we talk about charitable initiatives such as this, uh, Owen, we tend to talk about it in very broad brush terms and terms that perhaps people can't identify with sufficiently. I know you from, from particularly what you, you said to the Daily Telegraph last year and some of the conversations we've had. I know you want to really allow people to, to see inside your experience and, and what you and your family went through very specifically in the in the moments and days surrounding Rose's own death, and 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 for you to try and articulate, explain to people exactly the the the, the trauma that that surrounded that. Well, we'll, we'll never know definitively why um, she did it. Uh, we, we have sort of begun to get to grips with the idea of this sort of impulse. Uh, good expression is a. a, a you know, heart attack of the brain, or it's like a snake bite. Uh, but the, the message to get across, you said the, a few days after, we're nine months on, and we are all still completely traumatised. And I don't see this going away. People kindly say, time will heal. There's no sign of time healing at all. So what happens with suicide is that in, in a terrible moment of crisis, there is a catastrophically permanent solution taken by the person. And it has huge ramifications. I mean, the figures we've got, I've spent a lot of time in recent months talking to academics and specialists and um, people working in, in charities who've all been extremely kind, as I fully, well, I'm sort of blundering into this world, learning about it really firsthand. But the figures are shocking. It's uh, 135 people, it's estimated, are, are affected by every single uh, suicide. And that has enormous ramifications. If you think there's, what, six and a half thousand suicides a year, that's, that's not far off a million people who are really badly affected by this, not just for days and weeks. This, this will go on for years. So I, I really do think we have, if I can help in any way, as an MP at a national level, I've had you know, very good chats to, uh, to Matt Hancock already, uh, Nadine Dorries, Karen Dynage. There are issues where I can get involved. There are these uh, terrible websites on the internet, and I know Rose looked at some of these quite near to her death. We have to be very careful talking about these in public. But there are ways of combating technology with technology, and they give a very beguiling message. Uh, they, they only talk about resolving the problem of the person concerned. They give no indication, these websites, of the absolute catastrophic damage to family and friends for many, many years afterwards. And so I think the sort of combination of having skin in the game, I hope we will raise a little bit of money and I hope we will find some charities doing good work on suicide prevention. I think we can probably help with some research. And I think as I've got a foot in uh, national politics, um, I can promote this at national level. I've all been, I have the honor to be elected. I think I'm vice chairman of the all party group now uh, and we'll work across parties. So I've had only message this week from people right at the far end of the seesaw or the other end of the Labour Party uh, who want to work me, with me. And I'm, I'm very happy to do that. But I do, I do think with COVID, you know, Rose had COVID. Um, we both had COVID. I had it really badly. But she sort of brushed it off. I think that may have long-term implications. Um, the figures from Professor Lewis Appleby is there's not been a noted increase in suicide yet. But he's very careful, Lewis Appleby, to point out that after 2008 economic downturn, there was a spike, took some years to come through. And I do think we need a real national push on this because six and a half thousand people a year, that's, that's 15 jumbo jets. 
you know, if 15 jumbo jets went down, you'd, you'd, you'd close down Boeing, Airbus, Rolls-Royce, General Electric, Department of Transport would be closed down. It would be a massive national issue. And yet this is going on. In the next 90 minutes, someone is going to take their life. And a whole family for years and years and friends, 135 friends of that person, will be devastated by it. And it goes on and on. So I just feel in our family, if we just do a little bit on this, um, if we could just say one family, we will have done something good. And that's that's our intention. Oh, and are you are you trying to to change people's perception of of suicide insofar as those of us who who knew Rose and obviously those of you who who loved her so dearly will have seen someone of of great poise, great capability, great ability somebody with so much to offer and and everyone was so deeply shocked that that somebody like her could could take their own life are you trying to reinforce the message that this could happen to any family anybody at any time for any reason uh, yes Nick, absolutely and i'm being sort of brutally open and frank in public about this i mean you mentioned uh telegraph interview as you know i got a, a very big reaction to that uh and this actually is my first interview with anybody um, live uh, since June. Uh, and I, and I, I, I just hope I'm waking someone up that uh, I felt very strongly recent months. If, if Rose had known the damage she's done, obviously she's much the biggest victim, but if she'd known and had an inkling of the damage she's done, I mean, she was the kindest person, she was the least selfish person you've ever met. And this sort of vast network of friends and contacts who she's affected if she'd just known about it i really think she might have thought twice and she might have mentioned it to us i mean what what we go over every day is how on earth didn't we notice it just seems extraordinary you know we i was married for 40 years and didn't notice and why didn't she tell us and if we can get that message out there might be someone watching this program now who's had a difficult time through covid their business might be in trouble they might have employment problems money problems whatever it is health problems family problems Please, please talk to people. Don't consider this absolute shocking step. It doesn't solve anything. And we feel very strongly as a family, every single suicide is avoidable. And if only people would talk, and if only we notice, and if we all did more suicide awareness training, I've talked to the Zero Suicide Alliance, and if you look at what Joe Rafferty's done at, um, at Liverpool Prison, you can be proactive and suicide awareness training would be really helpful if everyone literally it would be wonderful right across the health service education business trade associations whatever you want if leaders of that would ensure their they and their employees and their senior staff all did suicide awareness training we might well have an impact on this and I, i'm quite happy to be absolutely brutal in public about the ab absolutely ton astonishing, shocking impact it's had on us. It is totally, totally terrible. And there's nothing to look forward to. Wonderful sunny day today, Easter, you know, taking my very horsey granddaughter on a pony who's learning to trot, although she's not yet too. It, it wasn't happy. I just thought Rose should have been there. Why, why wasn't Rose there doing a better job than me? And that's what I'd like to get across. I bet there's someone listening this morning Please, please talk. Please go to your doctor. Please talk to your friends at work. Don't bottle it up and don't take this terrible, terrible step because it is absolutely permanent. There's no coming back from it. Every other problem is solvable. Nothing, nothing is solvable by suicide. Nothing whatever. And, oh, and I, I know because I, I, I've spoken a little to you, to you about this, that you, you and your family every day and every day for the rest of your lives, I'm sure there's this there's this soul searching and you you are incredibly hard on yourselves trying to work out whether you could have seen any signs that that Rose might be about to take her own life. And you couldn't see those signs. But you, you did say to me that she's someone who suffered with what you might call a, a sort of generalized level of of anxiety, like like many of us do. It's it's incredibly common throughout society and people do talk about it a little more now. Would you urge everybody just to be a little bit more aware of the, the possibility of that. Yes, Nick, I think that's really important. So people talk about depression and you have a sort of sad uh, caricature of a, of a person living alone and miserable and, and, and possibly turned to alcohol or whatever. Um, 
and showing the manifestations of being very, very unhappy. Uh, Rose wasn't like that. Rose, you know, was anxious about things. She used to get, she was anxious about um, making speeches or things, but when it goes a huge amount of, of preparation, and, and she, she was a worrier about stuff. But we had, we had absolutely no idea um, where this could lead. She was very conscientious, and I thought that was her just being very, very uh, straight and proper and very hardworking and always, always wanted to do her best. But we had no idea that this was going on behind the scenes, absolutely no idea at all. And I, and I would have said that she was anxious at times. If someone had asked her, she was, oh, this is going to be an anxious, getting near the national. And of course, the, the national is this massive focus, almost a year's work gets concentrated into first of all, three days, and then a day, and then the, the nine to 10 minutes of the race and all, all the angst about making sure everyone gets around safely and everyone comes home and it's a success. There the was a lot, that did generate a lot of anxiety, definitely. Um, but we had no idea what was really happening in her mind. And was and she she didn't give us a hint of this, and we've we've talked about it a lot. So I think if anyone again watching this, any family, you know, someone looks a, a little bit down or is, is possibly bottling things up, you talk to them. Take get on the front foot and talk to them about it, because it, as you said earlier, if this could happen to Rose, it could happen to absolutely any any citizen anywhere, because she had so much going for her in her life, and her life, you know, her her career was. As I said, in her lady has really, really taking off. And yet there must have been something terrible eating away. And it's absolutely extraordinary that, that, that I didn't notice, completely extraordinary after 40 years. And she managed to hide it. So it cuts both ways. If, if you're the person feeling anxious, please, please talk. And if you're any family or friends or someone at work who looks a bit low, talk to them. Don't be sort of English and bottle it up. Talk to them. Owen, I can't tell you how much we appreciate your, your candour today, also how much all of us in, in racing miss Rose and will do this week, but rest assured the legacy that she leaves at Aintree is one that will, will never be forgotten. Thanks so much for talking to me this morning. Thank you, Nick. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. So, as promised, I'm now joined by the uh, racing representative for, for Racehorse Club, Max Pimlot. Um, Max, good morning. Morning, Nick. How are you doing? Uh, I'm very well. Now, you launched well. this and spoke to me about it earlier in the week, Wednesday, Thursday. By Friday, I was being inundated <laughs> with all sorts of um, comments, criticism about the, the makeup of this club. Just, just first of all, explain why you, you started it up and what the motivation for it was. Yeah, so we are a racing club. So that means that our members don't actually own the equity of the horse, which is the same as any other racing club in the UK at the moment. So whether that's Elite Racing Club, for example, who did so well for, for many years. Um, the reason why it has been set up is purely to get more people involved in racing, but also involved in horses which will be running at the top class meetings which previously has never really been able for the general public um, I think we need to focus on three points really which is introduction involvement and opportunity that's what we're trying to achieve here we're trying to get more people in, involved in horse racing involved in ownership an introduction to racing ownership and an opportunity to be part of a journey so we're not trying to take over racing syndicates. They're not our competition. We want to get people involved with us to give them that little bit of experience and then hopefully in time they'll have a positive experience and then graduate to going into a racing syndicate and then on to be a sole owner later on after that by investing more money. So you are, you are a gateway syndicate, essentially, or a gateway micro-share syndicate. Now, the, the, the horse that seems to have caused the most consternation is Potter's Corner. Because yeah. on, your, on your website, you're offering a 0.002% share at mm -hmm. £75 a share. Now, yeah. the smart mathematicians have 
suggested that, that thereby this is a valuation, an outrageous valuation of the horse at three point seven five yeah. million pounds. Mm-hmm. And where is all that money going? So that there's going to be three point seven five million pound yeah. pot, and that's going yeah. into the pocket of you and your fellow scammers who are ripping <laughs> off the unsuspecting public. What do you say to that? Exactly. So there has been a bit of confusion, and I, I can see how that people have got to that number. They, you know, they've typed in not point not not two, and they've got fifty thousand in ludicrous numbers in millions with the valuation of the horse. So let's just set the record straight. We have bought a percentage in Potter's Corner to run from Saturday onwards in the Grand National and all the way through the rest of his, his career. So within our percentage which we own, we have micro-shared our percentage out. We hope to get up to, well, if we've got 3,000 members involved in Potter's Corner, we would be over the moon. We can't disclose the actual percentage of the horse which we've purchased because we're under contract with with the owners. But one thing's for sure, we're not valuing Potter's Corners at three million because that you know that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in you know in my life. But within the fee which we're charging, the, the, the seventy-five pounds immediately knocked the bat off. But within the fee, you are joining a club. You are here for an, an experience. You're part of a journey. You're getting close. You're getting trainers updates. It's it's everything else. Training fees. It's the in the fee. If you go on. So our FAQs, you will see an example of the price breakdown. It's on there now, so people can understand more exactly where we're coming from. But let, let's, one thing's for sure, we are not selling 50,000 shares in Potter's Corner because that's ridiculous and we're not valuing the horse at that. We've, got, so- we've had to pay a premium for him because in order to be able to get access to a Grand National runner, it's nigh on impossible. Look at the first 10 in, in the betting for the National and who they're owned by. They're not going to sell. But we've, we've paid a good chunk for our percentage, and within that, with microshare, and within that fee which we're charging, our X thousand members who hopefully would get involved will receive all the benefits. So now on your website, because this you didn't have, obviously, when you, you've set this up quite quickly, obviously, to get in, mm-hmm. in ahead of the Grand National next week. Yeah. On your website now, there's a breakdown of what exactly what your management fee would be for, for each horse? Yeah, so if you if you go in the FAQs, there is a there's an example of the breakdown in Potter's Corner. Look, if we if people wanted to know exactly where every single penny is going, well, we'd be here all day. You know, we've got to think of the huge over, overheads which we have at the moment. We, it's not. I'd imagine it's at least two years before the company's making any sort of a profit. It's you know the the money which has been invested into Racehorse Club is colossal, and you know within the especially with Balco and Potter's Corner and Learjet be surprised if we sell if, if we sell the shares which we're hoping and again with Potter's Corner and Balco we've made a guarantee to all of our members if those horses do not line up in the Randox Grand National next Saturday they will get a full refund so with Balco who's going to pay the pay the 110,000 which we paid and everything else on top and you know the 19,000 we've got to pay to HMRC just to get him over from Ireland if 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 he doesn't line up We've made a promise to our members, we'll give their money back. It's a huge, huge risk for the company. Max, obviously there have been forerunners to this. We've got My Racehorse in in the US and similar debates have been had around My Racehorse. Owners group here would be perhaps your most obviously comparable syndicate. And even they have come in for quite a bit of criticism this week off the back of it for, for the management fees relative to the overall cost of the training and the maintenance of the horse and what they then do with that management fee and how it's spent. Can you just give an indication as to in what way, because you are calling your syndicate members owners, in what way is this specifically an ownership experience for them rather than just an experience as a club member? Why are they an owner rather than just a member of a club? Well, they own the racing rights for the rest of their careers whilst owned by Racing Racehorse Club. So it's effectively a lease, but they own they own those racing rights. So 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 they will get the prize money back. Correct. So admittedly, they're not. It's, it's going to be small numbers because of a micro share. The whole point of of the racing club, but they will get their percentage in prize money back. And also, God forbid, if anything did happen to the horses, um, and we had to put in an insurance claim and we got paid out, they would also get that return as well. But again, the, the uh, 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 you will have been 
uh, inundated with exactly the same questions that I have this yeah, week, which is sure. Bottas Corner's going to have to win four Grand Nationals for you to get any prize money back. So yeah. in what way is that an ownership experience? Yeah, I, I completely agree that it's going to be a small amount. But at the end of the day, if if you're coming in and looking at Racehorse Club to make money, well, I'm afraid we're not the, the, the club for you. You need to be looking at, you know, going into a syndicate. It's all about introducing people, having an involvement, having the opportunity to be part of a Grand National horse and moving further. We want, obviously, we're not here just to stay for, you know, the Grand National. We want the, this to progress over, over the next few years and get more people involved. And we want young people. That's, we want it to make it affordable that young people can have a taste of ownership, see what, the, what owners get. And if they go on and be successful and they can, can afford a racehorse in their own right in the future, fantastic. That's, the, that's brilliant. That's what we want to achieve. Uh, Max, the, the, the best syndicates like this, or the most well-run ones, where, where I get the best customer feedback, if you like, is people yeah. who feel very engaged in it and yeah. are kept up to speed, kept informed by sure. their, the people who run the syndicate on a regular basis. Now, when yeah. you, you first put your website out there, there, was, there, there wasn't a number you could call, and, and it, it just didn't feel like there was a, enough connection between you and your, your membership. Now, have you worked over the last few days to, to, to rectify that? Yeah, for sure. And again, there is um, there's a helpline number on the website in the FAQs. Um, and if anyone wants to email us, there's a there's a contact form on there. We want to engage with with our members. We want to give them value for money. So, for example, say with Falco, who's running the national, we'll then go to Punchestown, maybe running the Galway Plate, which is won before. We we want a huge journey. We want at the end of two or three years to say, well, actually, I paid eighty quid for a, a bit of Falco de Flo. What, a, what an experience. You can go to a football match in the Premier League and pay 70 quid to watch it, and in 90 minutes your experience is, o- is over. We, we want this to be long-term. There's no recurring fees, so we, don't, we won't be going back each year and say, right, right, guys, if you want to still be part of Potters, Balco de Flo, the Learjet, we want another 30 or 40 quid off you. Not the case at all. Once you're in, you're in. Don't worry about it. Just come and enjoy the journey. But I need to reiterate, it's a racing club, and it's here for an enjoyment and it's an entertainment product. It's not for our members to make money. How much of Potter's Corner does, do, do you own? Well, again, as we can't disclose the percentage just purely because that's in our contracts. However, we, we are aiming to sell 3,000 shares. If we sell 3,000 shares, we're nearly going to start making some money. Uh, but we've, we've got a ceiling of 5,000. OK. Dave? Max, um I, I received a, um, a communication from a, a mirror reader in Wood Green, North London, uh, this okay. week, whom I, I shan't name. But yeah. they alerted me to a point twenty nine of the terms and conditions mm-hmm. on the website, and yeah. they, they they use some very unflattering language, which which I shan't <laughs> repeat. But okay. they pointed out uh, clause twenty nine, which said that members could withdraw. All or part of the prize money that accrues, yeah. mm-hmm. but only when it reaches 20 quid. Now, <laughs> if Potter's Corner were to win the Grand National, which for your sake I hope uh, he does, then that's £7.50. Yeah. Nick said that he needs to win four Grand Nationals. I think mm-hmm. he needs to win three for anybody to get their hands on any money at all. If Potter's Corner wins two and a half Grand Nationals, Mm -hmm. then according to that share, they have £18.75 in their account. But they can't uh, they can't get their hands on any of that money, not a penny of it, because it's less than £20. Now, the the horse has to win a, a million quid. Our boom photo, the dual... Cheltenham Gold Cup winner. Let me just finish, if I may. Um, Has won £963.922... Sorry, £963,922. Altior has won £1,296,291. This this seems a... a, In your opinion, is this fair? And should it really be buried in... Point twenty nine of the of the terms and conditions. It's a point which we've discussed, and it's a point which will be getting taken off the website. So it'll be taken out of the terms and conditions, as it was an error on our part, and it's going to be removed today. 
Max, is there is there an extent to which that th this is a, a bit of a learning experience as well? Yeah. You've, you've got two horses running in the Grand National Suite, or one, and you've got the undisclosed percentage of the other. Mm -hmm. That you are feeling your way slightly towards this, uh, and that you you know there, there might have been things that haven't been completely fully thought thought, thought through before you've 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 gone live with it. Yeah, for sure. As as Mick Easton said on your your podcast earlier in the week, Nick. We all make mistakes, just learn from them and move on. Um, we've only been up and going since Thursday afternoon. Um, but in order for us to give people the opportunity to be part of the Grand National Runner, we had to speed through, speed through, you know, get to where we could as soon as possible. And, you know, there will be there will be tweaks along the way as, as we learn. It's like any other business starting up. There are mistakes. But let's let's just get back to the positives here of, you know, what a great experience it is for someone to say, "Oh, I'm part of Potscorn. I've got I've got a Grand National runner today." Because they do; they're a member of that horse. It's, I think people need to embrace the whole idea, and it, it is what it is. It's all there in black and white on the website in the FAQs and in the terms and conditions. People know exactly what they're getting into. They don't, we're not we're not putting a gun to them saying you've got to pay seventy five quid or eighty quid or eighty four quid. If, if they want to be part of it and have a bit of enjoyment, have a bit of fun and have a, a feel of what racing ownership is all about and be part of a club, absolutely. Come on board. That's what we want. Max, appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Thanks, Nick. Max Pimlock, the racing representative for the Racehorse Club. Very quickly, Dave, because we've got another man with a, a national runner on the line waiting for us. But um, just your thoughts there. Well, I, I think people can make their own mind up whether... Uh, they think it's value funny. Obviously, you're going to multiply the percentage by the um, uh, by the, the joining fee, and of course, the Learjet isn't worth 4.2 million quid. But you can make your own choice. I, I don't like the terms and conditions that uh, the, the the one that I was alerted to. I think that if you're the owner, you should be able to get your hands on some prize money, and you shouldn't have mm. a bar that will never be reached in order to get your hands on part or all thereof. I think. So my feel is that the intentions are are right to try and widen racing's of course, net, of course, and to get as many people involved in high-profile horses as I, I, possible. It's just the execution, especially now, has got to be absolutely spot on. This is just one thing before we go to Paul Nolan, uh, where I would disagree with Max Pimlock. You don't learn on the job with things like this. You learn on the job training a racehorse or something. In this, I think you, you, you have to have your I's dotted, your T's crossed, know exactly where you are. I, d I don't think I, this is, I, I don't think it's acceptable to go along and say, yeah, we made mistakes. I think it's the opportunities have come, haven't they, late in the day to get the Grand National horses well, yes, right of ahead of the Grand National. Yeah. Um, and that's why there are flaws. And this is an area, This is, as you have all told me this week, and in quite strong terms, this is an area now which is being, A, better regulated, and B, which is a good thing, and B, scrutinised much more closely. Any more thoughts on that? Just get in touch. Your mobile will be uh, put on at the ne end of the programme. Never, 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 not on any issue to do with racing. Have I had as much correspondence as I have, have about, had about micro shares? Not just, the, not just Racehorse Club, owners group, everything. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. A tribute to the lovely many clouds who died after that extraordinary battle at Cheltenham, but was one of three Grand National heroes to race in the silks of Trevor Hemmings, the others, Hedgehunter and Balla Briggs. And lovely to see them enjoying their retirement at his home on the Isle of Man from where Trevor joins me now. Trevor, thank you so much. Very special, special memories of some... Some true warriors of the sport. Great, gorgeous. I'm very fortunate because I not only live in a, what you call a paradise on the island, because I'm in the north of the island, where we're very fortunate. The rainfall is much less than the rain the rest of the island, man. So I enjoy my time in the garden many times, and I come wander around here when many of the people in the south have got their raincoats on. So I'm very lucky. And lucky to be still surrounded by so many of these horses who've, who've given you and, and given us so much. 
what what is well, it or what was it first trevor about about the racehorse and particularly about the the chaser the staying chaser that that captured your heart oh well um you go back to the the time i worked silly hours like i still get up and do silly hours now but silly hours at work and uh, doctor once said to me you get yourself a hobby and uh, as a youngster i used to do a bit of green grocery deliveries with a horse and cart so i thought i better get myself a horse and i got one and it went to stan meller a, a man a man of much fame you'll remember and um it was called Rebecca, and that's where it all started. And and so was it? It was that connection from from being a a young lad with a with a working horse that really that's really that's what captured yeah, your imagination. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you never forget your young years. I mean, my years were much different to the youngsters of today because the horse and cart was the modern transport. The horse and cart was where your groceries and your milk deliveries were. And as a youngster, you get yourself involved with either the, the milkman or the or the greengrocer. And I used to go hawking as a kid with a, a, a flat cap then. And uh, I used to go to 14 and 15, Harry Hindle, the greengrocer. And I used to finish up at Mrs. Smalley's and Golden Hill Lane. And she always had 10 pounds of spuds. There you are. <laughs> Make sure it was wet because otherwise you want a bit of weight there. So, <laughs> so it was quite funny, quite, quite lovely, really. Nice youth. And I guess, I guess that's that deep appreciation of not just a, a horse as a pet, but as the horse as a working animal. And it's a well, different it, type it, of appreciation, it, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, they were. I mean, the, the, the Shire horses and the the Shire horses and the and the Suffolk Punches were were famous for the, the work they did in those days. And quite often you see a Shire pulling a barge along the, the, the Leeds Liverpool Canal and things like that. So it's lovely, yeah. But history, and you still need them. And, and it's, it's just saying we're, we're losing so many. Not many Suffolk Punches around, but we contribute towards that society. I contribute towards the Shire Society because... They are important. There's the family, our kids need to remember them. They do, and I think I think your conservation of that is incredibly important for for all of us. If, <clears throat> if animals and, and horses and nature are one are one great love for you, and another a great love is the institution that is the Grand National. Just tell me about this as an institution. You're somebody with great sporting interests, we know that. What is it well, about the Grand National? It, it, it was ignited with Fred Pontin when he went off and we were all working, building what was then the Ainsdale Holiday Centre for him. And it was a 1771 when John Cook wrote Specify um, and I think Mr Sutcliffe was the trainer and Fred came back glowing with, um, obviously, he won it. He bought the horse two weeks before and he went and won it. And um, it was a, a lovely thing. And, um, you, you know, I, you capture it. And then Ginger McCain was up and down to Ainsdale Beach with Churchtown Boy and and, and and then Red Rum. And so the world, the world opened up to me and... I was captured from that moment on, opening one day I might be able to afford a runner. I think my first runner might have been in 1992, Rubika, and that was my first ever running in the Grand National. And and he was the horse you had with, with Stan Meller, Rubika, wasn't he? He was Stan Meller then, yeah, Stan Meller, yeah. And so mm. really, is it is it the Grand National itself that's kind of informed... Mm. The horses that you've that you've bought well, and been well, involved with these big, robust chasers, because of that particular race, and because it Liverpool was so near to where I lived at that time, in Chorley, in Lancashire, it, it was the place to try to get to, and of course it was unbelievable that you could do that, and. And the type of horse that had to do that distance. You remember the Beaches Brook in those days had a 12-foot drop. 
new one in four meters but today it's six feet it's massively different race in fact if you go any lower it'll be a hurdle race but at the <laughs> moment it's still a good interesting race and you still love it and we'll talk about we'll talk about cloth cap in a minute trevor but i want to take you back to one or two of those horses we saw there in the field with you and Hedgehunter was the one that really struck me. The way the way you were interacting with him there, your first Grand National winner, he'll he'll never be able to to be replaced no, in he, that sense. He he was special. If you remember, he ran. He was trained by Willie Mullins, top top trainer. He'd probably one of the finest jockeys you'll ever know and meet and see in Ruby Welsh. Yeah. Ruby and the family were all there. His mother, his father, his sister. It was lovely. And in the Mullins family with old Paddy there, the dad and Maureen, the mum, and, you know, um, Jackie, his wife, and, and Pad Patrick, the boy. Wonderful day. And it was the old enclosure. It, it was so special. And he was amongst what you call, it was nostalgic. It was famous, and, I, and it was a wonderful experience. And I was able to walk my horse in and come down that long track down to it, which was missing now. It was missing later in life. But there it all was, and it was an experience you could never... You wanted to share with the world because it was so, so encaptured. We've got to remember, remember one thing about these horses. They're going to experience 70 situations or more from the moment they leave. The first of all is they're up all 40, all 40 owners, they go up for saddling enclosure. From the saddling enclosure to the parade ring. So the pre-parade ring to the parade ring. In the parade ring comes people. So let's put it, five people per horse, 200. 200 people in the trade ring, horses are going round. In comes the trainer, in comes the jockey, up goes the horse. And from that moment on, in this case, uh, Esprit, I said, uh, Bistol de Mer, has top weight from that moment on, on these back with that jockey. Then from there, they go to the pre-parade ring, the, the one in front of the stands. They go out all the way down. They're out there all the time, and then they come to the start. At the start, they've got the starter. Think about 93, Captain Brown. Twice start, twice wrong, lasting round the horse's legs. They've got all that to risk. Then they've got to compete with 39 other horses. Will they get round? Will they get round? and 30 fences and that's what you're asking of each of those horses and the owners and the trainers you've got to have a lot of good fortune to do that and you put it beautifully and when you describe it like that it must seem all the more amazing to you that you've won it twice more with with Bala Briggs and, and many clouds I, mu I must ask about many clouds Trevor because that's a, a beautiful resting place you've got for him in the in the <clears throat> Isle of Man and can there have ever been a horse that's given quite so much in his races for you? Well, you, from the moment we got him, and as I said to Michael Marr at the time, when I leaned on the stable door, I was looking at a, a fold. To me, was Cloudy Lane number two, and that's why I got them to buy him. And he was a gorgeous, gorgeous horse in the heart of a lion. He gave absolutely everything. For me, for the jockey, and for Oliver Sherwood. And when he went to Oliver, I said to Oliver, this horse will make you. I realised Oliver was already successful, but he'd added to his good fortune, and I was delighted for Oliver and his yard and all those that worked with him and for him. And you could not ask for anything more. But I mustn't leave out Bala Briggs either. No. Who was a phenomenal piece of machinery. When you look, he was in the first six from start to finish. Incredible run. And he, he knew he was going to win. And he just gave absolutely everything. And you can't ask for any more. 
And, you know, we're fortunate. We got a chance again. But don't rule out the likes of J.P. McManus, who put a fortune into racing and deserves to win. He's got three chances. All up there, all odds, and good luck to him. Anglicanstown, Michael O'Leary and Eddie O'Leary, lovely men. They, they're there. They're knocking on the door. So you can't rule out anybody. All you can say is, I hope Lady Luck goes with me. I hope I'm fortunate and hope that every horse comes back safe. But I'd like mine to be at the front. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai.